This is lecture number 26 by Robert Benoit on the Major Prophets. This is the second lecture on Ezekiel. We're going to proceed from what we did last time concerning prophecies against the nations. Last time we talked about Tyre. This time we will pick up some prophecies about Egypt. So let's go on to Ezekiel chapter 30 and let's look at verse 13. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I will destroy the idols and put an end to the images of Memphis. No longer will there be a prince in Egypt, and I will spread fear throughout the land. I will lay waste upper Egypt, set fire in Zoan, and inflict punishment on Thebes. I will pour out my wrath on Pelusium, the stronghold of Egypt, and cut off the hordes of Thebes. I will set fire to Egypt. Pelusium will writhe in agony. Thebes will be taken by storm. Memphis will be in constant distress. End quote. And when we go further in verse 13, we read, quote, I will destroy the idols and put an end to the images in Memphis. No longer will there be a prince in Egypt. End quote. Memphis was a great Egyptian city, a very ancient city. If you go back in Egyptian history, when Menes combined Upper and Lower Egypt about 3000 BC, he built a new capital city, and he called it Memphis. So, the history of Memphis goes back to about 3000 B.C. as the first capital city of a united Egypt. It was one of the most ancient and most important cities of Egypt throughout Egyptian history. It was either the capital or one of the most important cities from 3000 B.C. on. Here, Ezekiel comes along and says, I will destroy the idols and will cause their images to cease from Memphis. That is a rather remarkable prediction. It's like saying in the time of the Roman Empire that I will cause all the idols and images to cease from Rome itself. Rome is full of them even until today. It is a remarkable prediction. But then the verse goes on and says, quote, There will be no more a prince of Egypt, end quote. The King James says, Prince of the land of Egypt. So literally, it is a prince from the land of Egypt when looking at the Hebrew translation. I'm not sure why the King James said of Egypt instead of from Egypt. And if you look at the NIV and the RSV and even the New American Standard Bible, they all say a prince in the land of Egypt or from the land of Egypt. There must have been hundreds of princes in the land of Egypt since the time Ezekiel made that prophecy. I think it is more correct to read it from the land of Egypt. The idea is that a prince from the land of Egypt shall not continue to be there or to rule. We looked at the same construction in Isaiah chapter 4 where it says, quote, they will learn war no more, end quote. Does that mean never again will they learn war, or does it mean lack of continuation of war? I think it is a lack of continuation that is meant there and here. And a prince from the land of Egypt will not continue to be, is a literal way of translating this passage in Ezekiel. It doesn't necessarily mean no more forever, but there will not continue to be a prince from the land of Egypt. Now, let's look historically and see what has happened. Nebuchadnezzar conquered the Egyptians as chapter 30, verses 10 and 11 prophesy. He put Babylonians there to rule in Egypt. But not many years later, the Babylonians were conquered by the Persians. 
The Persians put Persian rulers in Egypt. They ruled for a couple centuries, and then Alexander the Great moves eastward, and he conquers the Persian Empire and puts Greek rule in Egypt. Alexander dies, and his empire breaks up into four parts. Ptolemy, one of Alexander's general, seizes part of the empire that covers Egypt, and he is Greek. So you have Greek rule in Egypt for another period of centuries. The Ptolemies represented themselves as pharaohs, but they were Greeks. They were not, quote, princes from the land of Egypt, end quote. Over 600 years after the time of Ezekiel, there are no more princes from the land of Egypt. Previous to that, foreign rule was the exception. That brief interlude of the Hyksos rule from 1750 to 1670 B.C., and then about 600 B.C., there was a brief time of Assyrian control. Foreign rule was the exception through the history of Egypt for four millennia. You can take this further. After Greek rule, the Romans take over Egypt, and they rule Egypt for about 600 years. Then the Arabs conquered Egypt, and the Arabs ruled Egypt, not native Egyptians. At about 1000 AD, the Turks take over and rule Egypt up until 1850. In 1850, Egypt declared its independence, and when they declared independence, it was still a Turkish ruler, King Farouk, that was in power, and his house continued until the revolution of Nasser in comparatively recent times. You could debate Nasser. Is he a prince from the land of Egypt? My guess, he is more Arab than Egyptian. Of course, Nasser died and was succeeded by Sadat, who was killed, and then followed by Mubarak. Again, Mubarak and Sadat are Arab. Maybe we would want to call Sadat, Nasser, and Mubarak Egyptians, but certainly here is a remarkable prophecy. There will be no more a continuation of princes from the land of Egypt. From the point where Ezekiel gives this prophecy, even though there is a two-millennia history of native Egyptian rule, you get a succession right up until the present of non-Egyptian rulers in Egypt. I think Arabs, historically, would be people who were descended from Ishmael and Esau, and the intermarriages between the descendants of the two. Egyptians come out of Ham. If you go back to Genesis 10, where you trace the line of descent through the three sons of Noah, the Egyptians would come from Ham, whereas the Arabs come from Shem. The Arabs have so intermixed with the native Egyptian population going back historically that it is probably hard to say anymore who is what. I'm not sure of what Nasser, Sadat, and Mubarak are nationality-wise, but it would not surprise me if there is more Arab background to those three individuals than there is native Egyptian background. The native Egyptians, the Coptic people, are really native Egyptians. There is a Coptic church that is not Arab. It is more Greek-oriented, but that is more the true native Egyptian lineage, I think, among the Copts than it is among the mass of people who are more Arab. Arabic is a language that was imported into Egypt. That is not historically the Egyptian language. There have been a lot of changes in Egypt. Ezekiel chapter 30, verses 14 to 16 say the following. I will lay waste Upper Egypt, set fire to Zoan, and inflict punishment on Thebes. I will pour out my wrath on Pelusium, the stronghold of Egypt, and cut off the hordes of Thebes. I will set fire to Egypt. Pelusium will writhe in agony. Thebes will be taken by storm. 
Memphis will be in constant distress, end quote. Now, that city of Thebes, the NIV translates it, Thebes is a city in Upper Egypt, about 500 miles south of Memphis. Upper Egypt is south, by the way, because it is referring to the upper or more elevated region of the Nile River. That city, it says in verse 14, I will execute judgments on Thebes, and then in verse 15, I will cut off the multitude of Thebes. Now, today, there are two districts, Karnak and Luxor. It is one of the wonders of the world, like a large outdoor museum. If you take a tour to Egypt, they most likely will take you to Luxor and Karnak. That city was taken by the Assyrians in 663 B.C. If you look at Nahum, chapter 3, verse 8, it says, quote, Are you better than Thebes? End quote. And, of course, Nahum is prophesying against the Assyrian city of Nineveh. Thebes had already been taken by the Assyrians. Within a few centuries after Ezekiel, in the time of the Ptolemies, that city revolted against the Ptolemaic rule, and it was attacked by the Ptolemies, and the people were driven away. The Ptolemies decided that they would not permit it again to function as a major city. Some people were permitted to live there, but it really became a village. In 29 BC, the Romans attacked the city, and it ceased to be inhabited. Now, look at verse 16 of chapter 30. Quote, I will set fire to Egypt, and Pelusium will writhe in agony. Thebes will be taken by storm. End quote. Today, the city is a city of ruins, acres and acres of ruins. But compare that with verse 13 with Memphis. Verse 13 says, I will destroy the idols and put an end to the images of Memphis. It doesn't say that about the images about Thebes. If Ezekiel had said that about Thebes, it would be demonstrably false. If you go to Thebes, Karnak, and Luxor, you see all kinds of images, hundreds of them. When you look at the history of Memphis, however, it is quite different. Memphis continued to be a great city for a thousand years after the time of Ezekiel. It was the capital of the Roman province of Egypt, the seat of the Roman government in Egypt. It was probably full of images and idols, much like Luxor is today. But if you go to Memphis today, you don't find any. The question is why. Historically, what happened was when the Mohammedans conquered all of the Near East, including Egypt, they decided that they would build a new city for their capital in 640 AD. That new city is Cairo. Cairo was built about 10 miles from Memphis. When it was built, they took the stones from the ruins of Memphis and used them in building the new city of Cairo. They used Memphis like a stone quarry. Memphis all but disappeared. Here is a prophecy again where Ezekiel says, quote, I will destroy the idols and put an end to the images of Memphis, end quote, and it has turned out to be the case, literally. Looking at page 48 of the citations in the middle of the page from the Encyclopedia Britannica, the article on Memphis, we read the following. In Hellenistic times, the city had a population of 700,000 and a perimeter of 18 miles. That's a big city in the ancient world. The Temple of Hephaestus, as the Greeks called Ta, enjoyed a great reputation, as did the medical school. With the founding of Alexandria, however, the ruin of both Memphis and Heliopolis had begun. They were destroyed by the Arabs, and the medieval builders of Cairo used their ruins as a stone quarry. In modern times, hardly anything is left of the great city. 
excavations carried out over half a century by Flinders Petrie, many, including the University of Pennsylvania, have recovered scant remains. All that the visitor can see are a few stones among the palm trees and fields, an alabaster sphinx, and a recumbent colossus of Ramses II. And that's the end of the quote. Again, this is a remarkable prophecy of a major city that just disappeared. Again, you have a contrast in this very chapter. Thebes remained a place full of images and idols and buildings. It is a remarkable outdoor museum, as I mentioned before. Memphis just disappeared. If Ezekiel had said that the idols and images would cease from Thebes, he would have been wrong. But he put it the other way around. I don't think Ezekiel knew anything about the rise of Islam and the fact that the Mohammedans would come to Egypt and build Cairo ten miles from the previous site of Memphis. He doesn't say anything about that. But he does say, I will destroy the idols and I will cause their images to cease. And that, in fact, is what happened. Now, certainly the Lord could have predicted the building of Cairo from the ruins of Memphis, but I think you're back into this matter of the character of predictive prophecy where you don't get all the details. It's not like history written after the event. You get enough so that when one is fulfilled, you can say, yes, this is the fulfillment. But there are elements of information that are not included, and I think that is what we have here. The people in Ezekiel's day were told that Nebuchadnezzar would conquer Egypt, and he did that. I think that is evidence of Ezekiel's being a true prophet. But added to that are these statements about Memphis and Thebes that certainly go beyond the possibility of any human expectation or insight. It's not just a clever guess, but it is a statement by Ezekiel through whom God was speaking and to whom God gave specific knowledge and specific knowledge of particular things that were going to happen to the Egyptians long term. So again, I think you have evidence that Ezekiel was a prophet of God and he was speaking for God, and you also have evidence that God is the one who rules and controls history and can tell things in advance before they occur. These two passages we have looked at in this section on prophecies of judgment against four nations are particularly interesting because of their apologetic value. Now, we discussed that theoretically in the first quarter. These are two prophecies that pertain to matters long after any possible question about the date of the giving of a prophecy can be asked. Subsequent history shows how they were fulfilled. Next time we'll look at capital D in the outline on predictive prophecy. That is the end of lecture number 26 on the major prophets by Robert Bonoy, in this case his second lecture on Ezekiel. Music